And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast, where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake off. That's terrifying. Thank um, you. Today we're going to be talking about the 11th episode of the second season of Supernatural titled Playthings. Jamie, what did you think? I think I'm going to start with the very beginning of the episode. Okay. Let's just go a little bit chronological today. Like, oh my God, that never happens. It's not going to last. Yeah. <laughs> the two little girls. Yes. They swear more than the brothers do. I know. It's so funny. <laughs> They're like 10 year old girls. Yeah. And they're swearing already more than these two grown-ass men do. Yeah, Tyler and Maggie. Is that yeah. it? I Tyler like the Maggie. name Tyler mm. for a girl. You don't hear it very no. often. I like it a lot. Now, quickly, onto your prediction from last week. Yeah. Bang on the money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, freaky dolls. We've got some freaky children. I love this episode, by the way. Yeah. So please tell me more about that. <laughs> it's so rare that you come in and say, I loved this. There's <laughs> uh, just something... Something about the writing and the direction just, like, really came together. You know yeah. what I mean? It was written by Matt Witten, and I don't know the director off the top of my head. Let me just check. It was written by Matt, Matt Witten, and the director was Charles Beeson. This is the first direction we've had from Charles Beeson this uh, season. Matt Witten also wrote No Exit, which was the episode with Joe and yes. the apartment building. Mm. Which didn't, that episode didn't really suffer so much from bad writing as it did just copious amounts of plot holes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry, you were saying. There's a specific scene that I, I'm thinking of when I'm like, oh, I love, like, the way they're going, like, di- the direction in this. When they're doing, like, the dollhouse to re- reality. Yeah. And they sort of flip back and forwards. Uh-huh. I really enjoyed that. Like, for me, that was, like, the perfect choice for that moment. Mm-hmm. The right combination of, like, creepy and also, like... You can see what's going on without giving you, like, all of the details. Like, it withholds yeah. just enough information. Yeah. It's a nice... It's almost like a um, like a, a mirror. Like, you yeah. can... It's like a distorted mirror. You can sort of see what's happening, but not 100% correct. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And the implications of, like, it being a mirror at all are just lovely. And I really like the fact that they didn't harp on... Like, the brothers never actually really discover that the dollhouse is mirroring... No, the outside not really. world, like it, like they find the um the doll that at the bottom of the stairs with, with the, the head, head twisted. twisted. Yeah, but they don't like they don't go. Oh, everything that's happening here is happening there. Like they didn't have that unnecessary like exposition, and I don't think they ever like actually realized it fully. Like they understood something creepy was happening with the dolls. They never elaborated on it more. That scene was more for. The audience. Yeah. Yeah. And more to talk about, like, oh, it was probably Tyler. Yeah. And sort of, I like that in this episode with Tyler and Maggie, I think it is relatively obvious that Maggie is not... See, here's the thing. I didn't actually spot it. Oh, really? I'm actually normally really good at spotting, like, oh, that's a ghost and not an actual person. I like watching movies and TV and reading books over the years where they've done, like, the whole... One character can see ghosts and they've got a friend who's a ghost. Normally I can spot it pretty well immediately. But I think the way they did it in Supernatural was actually good. Because they still had the mother, like, talk about Maggie Mm, and, like, mm -hmm. acknowledge Maggie's Maggie's existence. existence. Whereas a lot of other media and content that I've read or watched where they've had a dead character, it's sort of like the only person who interacts with them is the person, is who, the can person who can see them. Yeah. And like no one else even acknowledges them. No one else even like 
vaguely talks about them, whereas because the mother's sort of just like indulging her child and her child's imaginary friend, she does. She she talks about Maggie and she says, oh, I don't think Maggie did it. Like, like you know, yeah. she, the way she talks about Maggie sounds like she's talking about another daughter. Yeah, I think the only thing, and this is what I was um, mm. getting to, the only thing that for me I find it more obvious is that she never addresses Maggie. She yeah. always addresses Tyler, which obviously because yeah. Maggie is not, not real, real to her. Yeah. But that's the only thing yeah. that for me is the hint. But even then she says, you know, Tyler says, oh, Maggie said it first. She's, you know, Maggie, you shouldn't be yeah. doing that. Like she really does indulge yeah. it. And you're right. Like it does play. I mean, it's probably, it's probably obvious to me because I've seen this episode like yeah. eight times. It, it sort of, it, it's quite a good payoff actually. Yeah. Here's the thing. I knew that something creepy was happening with Maggie. I knew that it wasn't a hundred percent like normal, mm-hmm. but I didn't like, I didn't pick it immediately. Like, Sometimes you can just see because, like, they won't talk, no one else will talk about the character or to the character or even, like, vaguely look in the character's direction. Mm-hmm. But I think also because they always paired Tyler and Maggie up, it's like when the mother's talking to Tyler, it's almost like she's talking to Maggie at the to same both time. Of them. Yeah. And because she never really, like, specifically goes, like, just Tyler. Yeah. Like, because why would you? Like, as far as you know, your daughter there just has just Tyler, yeah. an imaginary friend. Like, you can just talk in Tyler's direction mm-hmm. and have it be you talking to Tyler. Like, exactly. I One thing I actually really like about this episode is that they show that the motivation for Maggie doing these things, like, because you understand, obviously, she's killing people and it's bad, but her motivation is just that she is a child who is scared and is lonely and just wants company and a friend. And I kind of like that at the end... So we're just going to throw chronological order yeah. right out the window. Yeah. Like, I will also say that I think this, five minutes. <laughs> this episode had a really happy ending. Yeah. Honestly. I think it's actually a really happy ending having Rose and Maggie in the afterlife, essentially, together. Yeah. As children, because, you know, Rose had had her family. She'd lived her life. I think for her to basically be a girl again and be able to live... Like, get a second chance yeah. at the life that she, like, she, she never had. She never had a sister growing up because her sister died when she was young. Yeah. So it's like... And it's it's really nice to have, like, the two girls sort of give each other comfort. And so, like, as much as I really do like the ending, and I think it's very unique for Supernatural to have, like, the ghosts have a happy ending, the thing that doesn't quite work for me is that the whole point is that they're selling the hotel because they're going to knock it down. And I can't help but think that as soon as an actual de- like demolition crew show up to knock it down, like those girls are gonna wreak havoc because they don't want their home to be demolished. Like, unless they're just gonna like then just haunt whatever establishment or, or whatever it is that's built in its place, you know, like haunt the land rather than haunting the building specifically. But I can't imagine that that's gonna go down that well. That's my and. That's not even really a criticism. That's just like a... I would be genuinely curious to see if the brothers had come back ten years later. Like a play you know? sequel. Which, yes. Which they don't, but I think it would have been interesting if they did. Like, at some mm-hmm. point they just stay in a, a hotel and it, like, randomly happens to be... The same the location. Same, you know, I think... And they could have done that within the show. It went for so long that it wouldn't have been unreasonable for them to have happened to stay in the same town And twice. for them to forget that 
this like relatively minor case like at the end of the day like I think one of the reasons I like this episode so much is it's not the main plot it was just yeah. a really nice respite and a really nice nice breather away from the main plot for a minute yeah and as filler episodes go like a quite a strong filler mm. episode and also it's removed from the main plot but not entirely it still has a lot of character Mm, a lot of character stuff in this episode and a lot of reflection on what's happening in the main plot because like we actually had a time skip in this episode it skips Mm. forward a month they're like ava has been missing for a month like we've heard no sign of her we don't know yeah and it is an interesting uh time skip because i I mean i've said it before um supernatural does this thing that is unlike a lot of shows a lot of shows tend to focus on like these characters exist when you're looking at them but then when you're not looking at them, they start to sort of just cease to exist. Supernatural does this thing where it's like, they almost want you to remember that these characters have a life when you're not watching them. Yeah. And so often they'll bring up, you know, bits and pieces that happen off screen. And yeah, and so having that, like, Ava's been missing for a month, we assume they've been looking for her and we get a bit of dialogue about, you know, oh, I still can't find anything. And, you know, we assume that... You know, also, based on the dialogue you get, you sort of assume that, while they've been focusing on looking for Ava, they haven't really taken other cases. Mm. Because yeah, it, they've been focused on the one thing. The way that they talk about it seems like they're trying to get sort of back into hunting because, like, they can't turn up anything to help find Ava. Which, like, the guilt that Sam feels about yeah. Ava because he told her, you know, go home, you'll be safe there. Mm-hmm. Insane. Yeah. Let's actually maybe talk about Sam for a second. Because we, for the first time, get a drunk Sam... We do. We get a very drunk Which scene. is a very special <laughs> scene um, for many reasons. I would just say now, Jared Padalecki made some um, acting decisions <laughs> about drunk Sam. Yeah. And I'm not sure how I feel about them. Okay, go elaborate, please, by all means. He kind of plays drunk Sam like he's never been drunk in his life. <laughs> like, not gonna lie. I mean, to be fair, I have never been drunk in my life, so I can't really... Like, I have no experience to go by, but, I mean... Like, I understand he's meant to be, like, a sad drunk, because, like, that's why he's drinking, because he's sad, and he feels guilty, and he's not excited and happy about life, because nothing's going the way he wants it to. I feel like like happy and excited are the least likely emotions for Sam to be feeling at this point in his life, yes. (laughs) So he's meant to be a sad drunk, but it's, like, it, it, it just feels like he's never been drunk in his life. Like, he's literally just, like... He's sitting on the chair and he's kind of slurring his words. Like, that's... It might be a case of, like, the writing of that scene probably didn't help. But also it's sort of like... I've been around a lot of drunk people. I have been drunk myself. No one I have ever known, even when they're sad drunk, and, like, like that's not... An accurate representation. An accurate representation of a sad drunk. Yeah. Like, not at all. Like, he is too coherent, first up. We're meant to believe that he's been drinking so much that he... Can pass out on the bed immediately. Can pass yeah. out on the bed immediately. He fixates on, like, the whole, like, you've got to kill me if I become a monster thing, mm. which is really, really funny for me again because it's, like, this flip-floppy thing. <laughs> it's, like, we come from Kuratone where it's, like, Dean straight up doesn't kill him when he's going to become a monster. Yeah. And then it flip-flops over to Sam being, like, how dare you even imply that Dad thought you might have to kill me if I become a monster, where it's, like, we just established he wouldn't kill you if you were going to become a monster or if he thought you were going to become a monster. And now it's flip-flopped again to, oh, no, you have to kill me if I ever become a monster. It's like, make your mind up, Sam. 
Because I, I have the evidence, and the evidence is that Dean is never going to kill you, even if he thinks you're going to become a monster. Yeah. I enjoy Drunk Sam. <laughs> it sounds like you've got some grievances with that. I think it's funny. And I love him being like, you're bossy and short. And like, I love the implication that Dean is short, because Jensen's like 6'2 or something. Like, I also wanted to point out, Dean has a crack, and it's like, you're drinking on a, like, we're on a case. Yeah. And I'm like, bro... In, like, is it Providence? Yeah. Where he's, like, fully hungover on a case. I'm yeah. like, a bit fucking rich coming from you, buddy. Pop meet the kettle. <laughs> yeah, literally. And you kind of touched on it, but I want to expand on their chat about Sam a little bit more. First of all, Sam's saviour complex. Let's uh, chat about that for a second. This idea that, like, the more people he saves, it, like, makes him better like it kind of he wants to negate his destiny as he calls it like he feels like it almost feels like sam thinks that he's like on the precipice of just falling into this chasm of evil and he's like what will save me is doing actively doing good and proving that i'm not evil and i can prove that i'm not evil by saving people's lives and i can prove that i'm not evil by you know doing these things and i've said to you a couple of times before but sam has this idea of purity and that's very much tied in he's like if i can be a good person if i can help these people then it makes me better it makes me more pure like i'm not tainted and it's very interesting for his character because this is sort of the first time he's verbalized it and it comes out in not the healthiest <laughs> manifestation no. um, <laughs> i also really want to talk about dean uh, in this scene as well. Sam says to him when he's, you know, he's saying, you have to promise me that you'll kill me, you know, if it comes to it. Dean's like, no, obviously. Um, and Sam comes back with, dad told you to do it. You have to. Which is like such a low blow. Like, I You're just gonna like hit his daddy issues like that? That's yeah, crazy. right? Sam's like, well, dad told you to. So you have to. And Dean's like, I'm so proud of him. <laughs> He's like, no, like, dad was an asshole. Like, he shouldn't have put that on me. You don't put that shit on your kids. And I was like, yes, babe, go off, tell him. <laughs> I was just like, yes, exactly. Like, this is the growth that we want to see. I also really enjoyed the moment where Dean was like, nah, dad was full of bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not just going to blindly do what he says. I mean, probably helps that his dad's dead. dead. So, like... No one gets to face the consequences of his dad's emotional manipulation if he doesn't do exactly what his dad says. But, like, yeah, he's getting there. Yeah, I was really happy because it's so nice to, like, have this character stand up for himself. Especially Especially when they've been treating, like, John retroactively as sort of, like, an angel and an idol. Like, especially Sam. Like, and, like, we've got to do what dad wants. Like, dad did this. Like, we needed... And it's, like... Yeah, exactly. It's funny. It's, like... John died and Sam was like, well, we have to honour the dead. And then on Dean's side, he's kind of like, well, he's no longer here to defend himself, so fuck that guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I also, just quickly before we move on, want to point out another instance of Dean's theme this episode. Did you notice it this time? No. I noticed Dean's theme precisely 0% of the time. So it's not loud or obnoxious enough for me to notice. It's very um, distinctive, though. Like, once you hear it, you'll recognise it. Right as Sam, like, passes out. Like, so Sam's just made Dean promise that he will kill him if it comes to it. And Dean's like, I promise. And Sam's like, 
grabs his face and is like, okay, time to go to bed. Which, that scene had, like, uncomfortable close-ups, which is, like, really creepy. But it made me realise they have dimples in their chins like I do. <laughs> Representation. Representation. <laughs> Look, it made me feel slightly better about myself because I got bullied as a kid for the dimple in my chin. So mm. I was like, oh, they also have dimples in their chin. <laughs> Very cute. But, yeah, so as he's, like, putting, like, Sam's passed out in the bed and it sort of cuts to, to Dean with, like, head in his hands sort of thing, like, wiping his face or whatever it was he was doing, that bit of music that's there for, like, I don't know, three seconds is Dean's theme. Okay. Yeah, I did notice it. I'm just it, keeping again, track of it because it, it crops up a lot. It's not loud or obnoxious enough for me to notice. <laughs> There's so much, like, loud and obnoxious shit going on in this show that it's, like, everything has to be loud and obnoxious otherwise I don't spot it, you know? <laughs> I think it's time for this week's edition of Why Are Sam and Dean So Bad At Talking To People? Okay. In what instance are you, are you wanting to discuss When this? they first knock on the door to, like, the private rooms. <laughs> and they haven't come up with a reason, reason why. Reason for knocking on I... the door. And then they're just like, oh, my brother, which, like, peak sibling energy. The most sibling energy I've seen so far <laughs> in this entire show. When Dean's like, oh, he just loves dolls. Yeah. And it's like, it's that exact thing that you do when you're like out shopping or something and you're like trying to like convince like the sales sales assistant that your sister like it's the most hideous shirt you've ever fucking seen. Like it's cute green with peplum. Like, you know, like it's that exact thing. Yeah. But um, they, they don't have a reason. Like, what is their excuse? What is their ploy for? Like, I know. They just didn't think of one, which I think is so funny. Like, and they then just they spot up. the dolls and they're like, oh, the dolls will be our reason. It's like, but how did you know about the dolls before you yeah. knocked on the door? Yeah. Like, they absolutely did not. That was them thinking on their feet because they're silly and they didn't think before they moved. Which all they had to do was, like, knock on the door and be like, oh, hey, like, we didn't have enough towels in our bathroom. Like, or just, like, even, like, like oh, like, We've been, like, looking around and we're interested, like, do you know much about the history of the place? Yeah. Like, that would have been the perfect... Considering (laughs) antiquing is their cover story. Which we have to talk about this. Okay. Now, I... I got so invested in this when I was watching it. I was like, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this in depth. I went and found the scripts and I took screenshots so that we can refer back. (laughs) That is a new level of insane for you, Ben. Now, I would argue... That this episode is the first instance where you could really strongly argue for a queer reading of Dean. And I'm going to explain why. Because up to this point, there's been a couple of bits where we've been like, huh, you know, the lady doth protest too much or like... Gay sits on the bench. Gay sit on the bench. Like, little things which like, it's kind of like, if you are within the queer community, you'd be like, huh, gay sit, you know. But if you were an audience member, like, who wasn't in, didn't have those, like, jokes in mind, you wouldn't think twice about it. This is different. So when they get there, now look, if you're listening to this, you've seen the episode. So you know what scene I'm talking about. But when they check into the hotel... And also they've had similar scenes like this in the past, but it's always been framed, like, very conspicuously as a joke. Like in uh, Something Something wicked. Wicked... When the kid checks him in and makes the homophobic joke there. Yeah. Very clearly meant to be a homophobic joke. Yes, exactly. And what's interesting is this is almost the exact same scene as that. Like, there's the assumption that they're a couple. But it... And, you know, in that scene as well, like, Dean gets a bit, like, defensive or whatever and Sam gives no shits. Like, so... But the difference is the person checking them in in this scene genuinely thinks they may be a couple, whereas... In 
something wicked, the kid is making a joke. Yeah. Because he thinks it will be funny. Because the kid's an asshole. Because yeah. the kid's an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like, the kid isn't genuinely thinking, oh, maybe they're a couple. The kid is thinking, I'm going to have a lot of fun making these guys think I think them. Yeah, yeah. Like, the homophobia, it, it's ceases to amaze me yeah um or rather it never ceases to amaze me the homophobia but this scene now she i think her name is susan first of all i love that the code that they use for like asking if they're gay is so are you antiquers (laughs) like the stereotypes unfathomable anyway you can cut the homophobia in here with a knife we'll move straight past that but you know and they roll with it because like why wouldn't they roll with it? Like, they've... Yeah, like, they need an excuse to be in the area or whatever. They've just given them one on a silver platter. Perfect. So they roll with it. And um, also, like, antiquers is an inherently, like, a euphemism. Like... Yeah, exactly. There is like, no actual gay connotation to antiquing. No. Like, it's just, like... Though, to be fair, everyone I know that does antiquing is gay. <laughs> Jamie's connecting some dots. <laughs> but, like, not, like... Not just, like, straight up gay. Like, I know people who are bi who antique. Like... But queer in, in queer general. Queer Yeah. Something about antiquing appeals to the queer community, apparently. <laughs> yeah. At least in my life and my experience. Yeah. So, Dean's like, oh, how did you know? And she goes, oh, you just look the type, right? Now, that's all well and good until she offers, like, so, a king bed? And Dean, then it, then he realises the implication of what she's saying. And they She doesn't just think that they're antiquers. She thinks oh, they're no, fucking. No. They think, yeah, she thinks they're... Um, a couple of gay antiquers. Yes. So, anyway, they step in and, and correct her. But the look, the jacking choices <laughs> in this these couple of scenes, actually, because it continues beyond this as well. Like, the look on Jensen's face is just, like, it's not, like, a gr- It's like he is so... Here is how I, as a queer person, interpret this scene. Okay. Right? If I was not out or I was interacting with someone who I would have no reason to think knew knew my like you know orientations if someone said to me oh you look the type I would immediately feel unsafe because it would be like how did you know is it my hair is it my voice is it the way I'm standing like he's like what about me is exuding that because if there's something about me that's exuding that I need to stop that because that makes me unsafe, yeah. right? Because, unfortunately, this society that we live in is not often entirely friendly to people who are not straight. And so if there is something that, quote-unquote, gives it away, often you try to, to hide that. And the fact that when she, like, essentially, like, clocks, mm. you know... Dean is not as straight. not straight. That he gets... Sort of, and he looks down, he looks back up, and he kind of like, What do you mean we look the type? Mm. You know, and like, it's not an aggressive thing. It's like a. He sounds scared. He wants the information so that he can hide it better. Yeah. The reason why I think that I interpret that as more vulnerable than defensive is because in the other scenarios we've seen where, you know, you could say that it was like a homophobic joke. Like, even in um, Crow Toe and when, you know, the guy says, I think you should get out of the car, and Dean says, oh, sorry, buddy, like, I'm flattered, mm. but I don't swing that way. Or even like, in um, Bugs, when they go to the open yes, house barbecue thing, yeah. and they get assumed as a couple. Yeah. Dean always comes out at very 
defensive mm. and very like he gets a bit shitty about it and i think that's because in every other circumstance he's been in a position where the person who he say- is saying it to him is clearly not supportive because yeah. like yeah you say the kid was taking the piss that guy and like the realtors um from bugs you know they're very much like you know oh we're open to all Ooh. orientations it's like yeah the same way the cw was you know yeah like, like you're clearly homophobic and just trying like, to with a tagline pretend not to be homophobic so you can get my money yeah we put up a rainbow flag for the month of june and then we just like burn it at the yeah. end like but in this episode She's genuinely like, oh, no worries, not a problem. Yeah. There you go. Like she's genuinely not homophobic. And it puts him in a or at least she doesn't like present him yeah. the way that she is. And so that puts him in a position where he's like, he's not defensive about it in the same way. Yeah. Like he's still like, you know He doesn't feel the need to prove her wrong immediately because it's gonna be unsafe if he doesn't. Yeah, it's like He a, just wants to know why she is wrong. That. Yeah. You know, like he still wants to correct her, but it's not like a matter of like I need to correct her immediately. It's a, it's more of a how did you know that <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Um, and and it's really interesting because like you could you could interpret this scene in a variety of different ways, and obviously I'm coming at it with my own Pre-tied life experiences glasses. exactly. But when you compare Dean's reaction to Sam's reaction, there is a marked difference. Sam could not give less of a flying fuck about someone thinking he's gay. And my argument would be, because he's not. See, I have seen a lot of posts circulating around since I've been on in the Supernatural fan, and like, tangentially, like, dipping my toes in. Yeah. That are sort of like, how can you tell Dean is something? It's because Sam isn't. isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly the case. It's like 100%. And honestly, like, if you're not sure what we're talking about, please go back and watch this five minutes of the episode, like, from when they check in to when they go and speak to her about the dogs. Like, it's a bizarre sequence of events if he is not supposed to be interpreted as queer. Because then, next scene, right? So even if even if you look at that scene and you're like, no, they were just being homophobic, they were just making a joke, like, whatever. Skip past it. Go to the next scene where they're in the room. And this is now a different scene in a different room. The lady's no longer there and they've changed the topic. They're now talking, like, they're talking about, like, the dress on the wall and, like, huh, that's not weird. And then they're talking about, like, the potential for the case and, you know, this and that. And then Dean brings it up again. And he's, like, the biggest concern is why do these people think we're gay? Like, Dean, no one else was thinking about this anymore because we've completely moved on. So why is it sticking with you so much that you're now bringing it up again, unprompted, to the point where when Sam... When it's just you and your brother. Like, you can't even ask the lady again, like, why she thought yeah. you were gay. Like, he's not only bringing it up again, yeah. but narratively, what is the purpose? Yeah. What is the purpose of this interaction? Because it is unnecessary to the yeah. rest of the episode for him to bring it up again. Like, if even if you want to dismiss the initial interaction as a quote-unquote joke, bringing it up a second time makes no narrative sense unless there is a purpose to it. Yeah. And then at that point, it's Sam saying, like, I don't know, like, you're kind of, like, butch. Maybe she thinks you're overcompensating, which mm-hmm. is sort of like, you know, you were saying in Croatoa and, like, the lady doth protest too much. But what's interesting is that, like, the reaction that Dean has to that is to kind of, like, huh, look down and then, like, it's... I can't even describe it in words. You really have to go and look at it. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you have not watched this scene recently, 
I beg of you, go back and look at the reaction that Jensen gives for Dean. Because I went and looked at the script to see if there were directing notes or stage notes or anything. The note is like, Dean is supposed to be like, fuck off. This is not That's the not reaction. The no. That is not the reaction that is given. And in my opinion, I don't think Jensen is stupid. And like, I'm not saying it definitely was his intent. I'm just saying it absolutely could have been his choice, like as an actor to play it that way. And it also wouldn't be the only instance that we know of where Jensen has played a scene more down the line of could be queer, could be not. Uh, especially in there's you obviously aren't up to it yet, but there's quite a notorious scene in season eight where the jacking Joyce's are strong. The jacking Joyce's are strong, and in the DVD commentary, the writer and the director both comment on how the scene could be interpreted as Dean being queer. Like it's not a singular instance either. This sequence of scenes in particular, I think, had intention to it. Now, whether or not that is an intent of the writer, the director. Jensen himself, the editor, I don't think you can say it was any one person. I think it had to be a series of decisions made by a number of people. The end product that they produced certainly lends itself to this reading. Anyway, I'm sorry. I realise I have talked about this a while. You have. But... Almost 30 minutes. (sighs) But I just want to... Like, I think it's really important especially with recent drama and talking about interpretation and like queer people in media in general but also in supernatural specifically or like queer characters rather i just think it's important to recognize like when there are scenes like this where you have to look at it objectively and say okay well narratively from a writer's perspective director's perspective editor's perspective actor's perspective what was the point of this interaction what was the point of this dialogue of this cut of this reaction if this was not the intended Do you know what I mean? See, I think what's really hard for me about Supernatural is I like to ask myself, like, what's the purpose behind choices? And, like, nine times out of ten of Supernatural, it's like, oh, there was no purpose. It was a whole bunch of people just making their own decisions Mm. and their own interpretation, and none of it lines up. This is why I tend not to take what the actors say about their characters at face value. I know a lot of people, like, will go to cons or ask questions, and if the actors say something, they'll, like, take it as gospel. I try not to, and my reasoning for that is because we've talked about it before, but Supernatural is like one big group project where everyone was on a different page. So people weren't even in the same fucking book. Yeah, and the thing is, like, the actors don't watch the show. Yeah. So they might have thought one thing when they were reading for a scene or acting in the scene, but that's not necessarily what... And great, that might be the meaning for that scene, but the issue is you then have another dozen scenes all around that scene which give context to that scene, which changes the meaning of that scene. Well, it's not even just that, but it's in the cut. It's in the music choice. It's in the framing. It's in the lighting. It's in the everything that goes around that scene. Like, so many things happen beyond what the actors do. And so I think that, like, and there's been instances where people have asked about, oh, when this happened on the show, and they go, when what happened? I don't remember that happening. And it's like, of course you don't. Because it's, you know, you don't sit there and analyse this like we do. And it was also like, they, if they're talking about something that happened in like season five, it's like, that was 10 years ago for them. Yeah, like 12 years ago. That that was a single season that they did 10, 12 years ago. Like, no, they're not going to remember a single season. Like, 
obviously they have scenes that they remember more vividly like than others like the one that i know that gets talked about a lot is the scene in bugs with the bees yeah where they're kind of pissed because they got forced to work with bees and then they had to add them in Post, in cgi yeah. anyway so like i know that they remember that scene but it's like that was a very specific, specific and distinctive scene that was memorable and even that is not about the characters, characters. it's about the physical, physical reality yeah, yeah of the filming situation and it's like they're not gonna remember perfectly every scene that they ever recorded but you also got to remember a lot of the times the episode isn't filmed in order yeah they will film completely out of order based on like scheduling and when they can get sets available and like when actors are available so the meaning of the sh- like the episode changes drastically when you change the order of the scene yeah so they might not remember the events perfectly because it's like they didn't film them in the correct order so like for them it's like all of these scenes are like jumbled up and mashed up in their head because they can remember them in the order they recorded them mm. but they don't remember really the plot line because it's all out of order there is no guarantee that they a recorded the episodes in chronological order and then be recorded the scenes within the episodes in yeah. chronological order so like there is a good chance that a lot of the stuff they just sort of like erase from their brains because it's no longer really relevant and like i was saying like i think the thing is that they even like you're saying like it's all jumbled around they record it out of order and like bits and pieces yeah like a hundred percent but then also they if they don't actually watch the show which we know they don't they've mm. like told us they only really watch it if it's like they're live tweeting it which yeah. is usually like a finale or something yeah. like more important than just your everyday episode okay. like they don't get to see it once it's all put together and it's gone through post and it's been edited and like they do what like say like six seven eight takes of one scene they don't know which take they're going to use they might play it differently the director might say oh this time do like i want you to be a bit more emotional oh and this one i want you to um you know stand there a little longer or like in this and all of those subtle differences and then it won't they won't just use one take they'll cut together the takes the bits they like yeah they'll move them together and make one cohesive um piece and you know if you're not looking at the final product and actually looking at it objectively. And also, I will say that I would understand not watching the final product as an actor. Absolutely. Especially as an actor who's still acting in the show, like while the show was running. I understand them not watching it because they don't want it to impact their performance. Yeah, and also, like, God, listening to our voices is bad enough. I can't imagine having to watch my face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's bad enough having to spend a couple of hours editing my own voice every week to have an episode ready for release. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to actually watch, like, footage of me. Especially, they don't have creative control over it. So, the takes that are used are not necessarily going to be their favourite takes. Exactly. So, like, I can only imagine the torture that would be. Um, But, no, I can't, like, I don't blame them for not watching the show. Also, it's kind of batshit, so. Like, I I don't blame them at all for not watching it. I just think it's important to remember when you're listening to the actors have opinions yeah because it's like they have a very different idea of the character than what is necessarily portrayed on screen and i'm not saying that they're entirely wrong obviously like they have a great understanding of the character that they are portraying i just think that they don't they don't get to see the scene that they've done with the close-ups or the music choices Mm. or the whatever you know but also they don't even know which scenes are ultimately getting cut which as with any media property, I'm assuming there are some really pivotal scenes over the years that have been cut and scenes that really inform characters and the way they acted them. Oh, absolutely. And that may have been really, really impactful for the actors themselves and the way they saw their characters. 
But then they were ultimately scrapped from the show because, you know, they didn't have time. The director didn't really like any of the takes. Like, it didn't work with the flow or the pacing of the episode. Yeah. And so it's sort of like the actors got this version in their head based on everything they've ever recorded for their character. Mm-hmm. And it's like the audience doesn't necessarily see everything that was ever recorded about that character. Or even was just written. Yeah. Because scripts change. There was a scene in a later a later season episode of Supernatural that was ultimately cut, which, again, would have lent uh, an interesting insight into John and also Dean. We're a long way away from this episode. I think it's actually season 14 or 15. Yeah. But um, essentially there is a monster who is um, targeting truckers in truck stops and the way that the monster like gets to them is by you know flirting their way into the cabin mm. and seducing them essentially similar to um megan scarecrow similar but this particular monster presents as male yeah so he flirts his way <clears throat> his way in and like seduces the male truckers and that's how he gets his victims and as they're talking about this tactic dean is like oh yeah that makes sense dad used to make me do that and you're kind of like, huh, so you used to flirt your way into truck. John used to, and he was talking to Cass in this scene. Yeah. And Cass literally just goes, your father was an interesting man. And Dean's like, yeah. That's Can I get it. a big that's, yikes? That's the whole scene. Then they just like walk off. But like, and that was never even shot. That was just scripted. But it's like, someone wrote that. Yeah. If you're looking at that scene, even if you're not, reading Dean as queer, he certainly had queer experiences. Certainly. And John weaponized them. Yeah. Which is also interesting. Uh, um, moving on from that big yikes yeah, moment, we, back to the episode yeah. so that we actually have content about the episode. Yeah, sure. Sorry. Um, I think I might go, go into my PSA for today if you're, if you're happy to move on from yeah, that. Yeah, what's your PSA? I want to know what your, you think my PSA will be this week. Because it's, it's a hard one. It took me a while to spot it. Teach your kids how to swim? Because no. I was shocked. The notion that a child has not been taught how to swim. Especially a child who has literally a swimming pool on the property where they grew yeah. up. Batshit to me. I'm like, that's like one of the first, I went to swimming lessons when I was like six months old. Like both my niece and nephew both knew how to swim by the time they were three. You can't not teach your kid how to swim no. in this country. It's a terrible plan. Yeah. <laughs> I just like was like, wow, how is this kid like 12 and doesn't know how to swim? Especially I mean, considering they have a pool. That's cultural for us because yeah. like you have to know how to swim. But like... Okay, so no, my PSA for this week is not teach your children how to swim. Though, uh, like... Please, teach your children I understand how to swim. Sam was saving the kid, but like also swimming with a cast is not recommended. Yeah. <laughs> like not at all. Which like... Unnecessary slow-mo. Like, that was probably the one bit of the episode where I was like... Like, I get it, it's very heroic. He's saving a child from the pool, but like... Very dead in the water. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, the slow-mo was just... It felt very unnecessary. It just sort of messed the pacing for what had been like a fairly like... The pacing of this episode was really lovely. Like, it just yeah. sort of... It moved really nicely from like one point to the other. And then it's like, oh, look, we're slowing it right down. That's a choice. For the drama, Jamie. For the, the drama. drama. Anyway, my PSA... You gotta respect people's personal space. Don't just like trespass in other people's oh. living quarters. It took me a minute to figure out. I'm like, do you mean at the end where she hugged him? I was like, what? <laughs> no, yes, I'm no. not talking about like personal space around. Like, I mean like personal spaces in like people's Houses. homes yeah. and their private quarters. Because they just like they 
pick the lock and go and, like, intimidate this old lady who's had a stroke. Like... Yeah, I know. Jesus Christ, guys. This is not okay. Oh, man. Oh, and then fucking Sam's like, well, what do you want to do? Poke her with a stick? And Dean's like, no. You can't poke her with a a stick. stick. What the fuck? And Susan's reaction to that is 100% valid. Oh, absolutely. Get the fuck out or I'm calling the police. Yeah. Say that. Say that. Say it with your chest. Also, how many times have the police and the coroners been to that, like, hotel in, what, six weeks? So fucking Though much. I will say that a coroner would never, like, pronounce what the cause of death was anywhere near that quick. Oh. Because, like, by the end of the episode, like, Rose has just died, li- literally, like, hours before. We just saw her body being called out. Yeah. And she, they're like, oh, yeah, they think it was another stroke. Like, no coroner yeah, is saying that. that. They can think that it was a stroke. It would make sense. Like, she had a history... It can be their working theory. I don't think they're saying 100% without a doubt. No coroner, whenever you, unless you like die in a hospital, no coroner is even saying like, I think it's this. Like they don't do it. That's not how coroners work. Oh, very quickly. This is um, completely unrelated Mm. and is going uh, straight back to the start of the episode. Okay. Let's ping pong back. I uh, appreciated the Fred and Daphne reference. Yes, I did see the Scooby-Doo reference. Yeah. This is unimportant. I just, I think it's funny because obviously at some point there's the supernatural Scooby-Doo crossover. Yeah. If you didn't know about that. I did know about that. Yeah. I had seen. It's hard to avoid. Also, the bar when Dean goes to talk to Sherwin straight out out of The Shining. Did you recognize that? It's like the same set. No, I didn't recognize Dude, that. Dude, it's like... To be fair, I haven't watched The Shining in, like, years. Oh, it's such a, like... I and I mean, like, between... Yeah, and between, like, that and, like, the two little, like, girls, like, and The Shining set and the hotel and the whole... Like, it's very... It was a nice nod. Mm. I thought it was, like, really nice. And not subtle, but, like, nice. Okay. Let's talk about... I just have a couple of points I want to make. So let's, yeah, let's no, talk about one of them. Mm-hmm. The scene where she's outside and the swings start swinging. Love it. It's windy as hell though. Like, why is she like, oh wow, the swings are swinging. Outside, it's windy. Not unusual. Like, I understand like the seesaw and that, but it doesn't start with the seesaw and like the merry-go-round thing. It starts with the swings. It starts with the swings. Not that weird. I mean, But she like, she's stopping it. Like, she's staring at it. Right? And everything else starts to go and then the car goes, Sam saves her and that's all well and good. That's fine. Like, Okay. Bit weird that she was so mesmerized by like the swings. Here's the thing, but like yes, the swings would move in the wind, but they were moving a lot in the wind, like a lot, a lot. Like I get it, like they'll move a bit, but unless it's like literally a tornado, like they're not going to be swinging like there's actually a person on it. The air is not that, like the wind is not that strong. If the wind was that strong, they wouldn't be going in, like, a nice, smooth back-and-forth motion. They'd be, like, blowing all over the fucking joint. And also, she'd probably be blown onto the ground. Like, I I think that if I saw swings going like that, I would also be like, what the fuck is going on? That's your opinion. Personally, I would be like, where are the ghosts? (laughs) But no, so, like, Sam saves her, right? And then they go inside the hotel. I mean, I guess... The hotel where people are mysteriously dying. I mean, I guess they had to get, like, her mum and her kid. Like, they couldn't just, like... Get rid of her. <laughs> like, they can't just be like, okay, you need to leave so we can, like, leave us with your child and your elderly mother. Like, I don't, like, it's, like, they head inside for safety. It's like, yeah, but people have been dying in the fucking hotel. Yeah, I guess. At least there's no car inside the hotel. Yeah, but the car's totaled anyway. 
it definitely is totaled because then later on in the episode, after everything's like sorted out and it's all happy and that, they get into a taxi, which was like just a nice little yeah. bit of continuity. Like, yeah. you know, her car crashed, she no longer has a car, so they're in a taxi now. But no, so like it just we- was weird to me that they were like, oh yes, you know, creepy things are happening. It's clearly a ghost trying to kill us. Let's go inside the hotel <laughs> where people are mysteriously dying. Yeah, I think, um, actually, we didn't mention it at all, but I just want to point out the hotel, beautiful building. Oh my goodness. Gorgeous. Stunning. Except for the weird, like some of the decorations in the hotel, weird as oh. hell. The dolls. <sighs> the decor is confusing. Yes. But the actual building, building itself, itself. Good bones. Stunning. Those herringbone floors. <laughs> oh, I was in love. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. And the staircase and the solid wood. And it's just, oh, it's lovely. Did you even the notice windows? the herringbone floors? No. I, I skated right past that when you said it. Um, but no, it's a beautiful building. It really, really is. And did you notice the doll that looks like Maggie? Yeah. I was wondering about that because they never really clarify. Do we think that that's a tether for her in the same way that it was for the young girl in Providence? There is a good chance. Yeah. That's what I was sort of thinking they were implying. Because that's the only thing Mm -hmm. I could think too, because otherwise it seems a bit... Like, it seems odd. And also, like, a lot of those dolls got, like, smashed up and broken. But that one, like, was Survived. fine. Yeah. So I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe that that was the, the implication. Was yeah. that she was tethered there by the doll. Anyway, this was sort of, like... Good chance. That's, that's what I thought they were implying by that. But they never yeah. textually confirm it. Yeah. Like, it's definitely just something that's implied. And I think there's not necessarily, like, evidence that... It is her tether, like, because she could just be buried on the property or something, like... Well, she died tragically on the property, property. so that's usually enough to incite a spirit, but... Yeah. And, like, there's a good chance that she wasn't cremated, like, she could have just been... Had a traditional burial. Yeah. Which would also mean that she, like, her spirit wasn't destroyed because she didn't... Like, her her remains are still somewhere in the world, whether she's tethered to her remains or to the hotel where she died. Like, good chance that, like, she still does have, like... A body tethering her to this world. I have a question for you. No. No. Okay. (laughs) Moving on then. No. So I've got a question. I know how you feel about clapping monkey toys. Yes. I know how you feel about rats. Yeah. I'm curious. How do you feel about that brand of like porcelain doll? Because some people like love them and collect them. You know, Sam, obviously a, um, a real doll collector. Um, <laughs> he just loves dressing them up in little outfits. He just adores it. Yeah. Um, also, I think that's very interesting. Sorry, this is another segue, but that was interesting as, like, a defense mechanism from Dean yeah. in, like, sort of weaponizing Sam's masculinity yeah. after he's just had this whole, like, little Dig moment. about the Dean's yeah. masculinity and it yeah. being a bit, bit overcompensating. Open, overcompensating, yes. Um, anyway, back on the dolls. <laughs> God, this episode is just full of things. What are your thoughts? Do they freak you out? They freak me out. I they're definitely creepy. I hate them. I really. I do. personally would never buy one. I was not really a big doll person as a kid. I was gifted some as a child, and I did not bring them with me when I moved out. I never got like those like porcelain looking dolls. Mm. Though. Like I got like brats. Okay, so that's that's not the kind of doll no. I'm thinking. Like Barbie and brats. Like that's very they're different. different. Like, I'm talking about the, like, porcelain, like, painted 
Because, oh, they... They're creepy. Freaky. I once house sat for my aunt. She has, like, a whole room full of them. And mm. I locked the door. And I didn't go in there the whole time I was there. I was, like, there for, like, three or four days. And I was like, I don't need that room. That's fine. That room can just be locked. Dolls are just creepy. I don't know what it is about those... Like, specifically those, like, porcelain yeah, dolls. Yeah, specifically like, those ones. Because, yeah, like, I don't care about a Barbie doll. If I see a Barbie doll... Or, like, like a no. baby born. Yeah, like... <laughs> you know, but... Oh, just the porcelain ones. They're just so freaky. I think it's because they're simultaneously meant to be a child's toy while also being, like, extremely breakable. So, like, there's this weird disconnect between, like, their purpose and their design. So it's just, like, kind of unsettling because, like, you don't... It's like those... But, like, while they look like they're designed for children, but you wouldn't buy them for for children. It's kind of like those fancy plates that, like, people have that you're not allowed to eat off of. And it's like, well, then why do you have this plate? And they're like, no, no, you don't understand. It's decor. I'm like, okay, but it's a plate. Yeah, that's plates. Are, like you, can it's have meant to be pretty functional. Plates. While is it? Yeah, it's it's supposed to be functional. It's not like you don't buy a statue to be functional. No, you buy a statue because it's art. But if you buy, I don't know, a nice lamp, you buy that because it's functional. And it's art, you know? Yeah. Same for cutlery. I don't know. Like, my grandma collects teaspoons. She's just got boxes of teaspoons. And I'm like, but you're not allowed to use them because they're, like, collectible. But I'm like... I, but they're also meant to be, like, a functional item. But they're a item. spoon. Like, yeah. <laughs> just use it to stir your tea. Like, it's not... <laughs> I don't know. But, yes, no, the dolls are weird. And I just wondered if you were one of those people who liked them. Or no, if you were I'm the not... same people who thinks they're terrifying. I don't think they're terrifying, but I definitely think they're creepy. You know what I mean? One of them is not terrifying. A room of them is. is. Yeah. Yeah, that's the key. One of them is like, oh, this is like an A- antique room. that was handed down through my family. And like an entire room of them is like... You need another hobby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I really liked that throughout these episodes, they're like putting in little bits that like they're keeping in touch with like Ellen and Joe and Ash. Like I like that they're mentioning that they've got this, like, little network happening. It's not just sort of, like, they just are forgotten in episodes that they're not yeah. in. I kind of like that they're, like, peppering them in. Like, oh, yeah, I spoke to Eleanor. Oh, yeah, I heard from Joe. Or, oh, you know, Ash said this. Like, I quite like that it's you get these little reminders through the episodes mm-hmm. that, like, oh, yeah, these other characters, like, exist and are interacting yeah. off screen. Though I did have a theory, though, that maybe it was, like, because everything they'd found of, like, the hoodoo magic in the hotel had been, like, protection spells. Mm. I thought maybe it was, like, the protection spell going haywire. Huh. And, like, trying to protect the hotel by killing yeah, killing people off. That's an interesting concept. Yeah. And, and, like, I mean, I this guess... spell that the original purpose was to protect the hotel and the people in it was now, like, a protecting the building, building more than versus it. the people. Yeah, actually, that was really interesting. Mm. I quite like that as a interpretation. And that's how the plot of the 2006 critically acclaimed film Once <laughs> the House could have come true. <laughs> oh, In Supernatural. Um, speaking of homes and houses, I did want to quickly mention uh, Dean mentioning to Sherwin that he doesn't know what it's like to have a home. Mm. That, oh, that hurt. That was sad. I don't really have anything to add to that that I don't think we've already said, but I just wanted to point it out. Just sad. It hurt me. But about this house in particular, I'm a little confused as to why they had the woman confined to a wheelchair positioned in, in like, yeah, the tip top of the house. 
up like a bunch of fucking tight stairways. I surely they had a room available on the ground floor. There was somewhere she could have hung out on the ground floor. Yeah. Like, and even if there wasn't, it's not like this hotel is particularly busy. Like, surely they could have converted a lounge or something into, like, a makeshift. Like, they could have moved a bed in there and, like, put up some partitions or something. Like, they could have... No, I think they just did it for the creepiness factor, honestly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. From, like, a technical, like, show standard. Yes, they wanted to make her a creepy old woman in an attic, but, like... Also, it's not like there was an elevator. Or practicality a ramp. dictates that you don't put your mobility impaired relative relative in the most in inconvenient video- room. Yeah, in the room that's the hardest to access. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then she's just stuck up there. Like, she's and who's interacting with her up there? That's, I don't know. It's not like they have guests anyway. Like, it's like she's just given sitting her the whole there, bottom floor, like staring out the window. Yeah, and for it's like, like twelve hours a day. That, like at least give her a television or a yeah. radio. Like she's clearly cognitively like aware. aware. She's just, just because physically she's you impaired. Know. Like so, like give her something to fucking do. My God, it would not have been that hard for them to like pop her in like a downstairs lounge room with a television at least. Mm. Like fuck, put on some movies. What was her favorite movie? Yeah. Pop that on on a Sunday morning. Jesus fucking Christ, can't be that difficult. Anyway, um. <laughs> The only, like, the last thing that I think is worth mentioning before we wrap up is that, obviously, we talked about Sam being drunk and their conversation there and him making Dean promise that if it came down to it, Dean would kill him, which is, I don't know, I think it's a bit much. I don't think that's fair uh, on of Sam, but look, it is what it is. Dean, the next day, when Sam is busy vomiting sort of checks in to see, you know, it's like, oh, I don't think you'd remember much from last night. And it's him checking to see if if Sam remembers Dean promising to kill him. And Mm -hmm. Sam kind of indicates that he doesn't remember shit. But then later, at the very end of the episode, it's like, oh no, (laughs) Sam does in fact remember. And they don't really discuss it beyond Sam Sam being like, you promised. Dean being like, oh fuck, he remembers that, I promised. Yeah. I just thought it was probably just worth mentioning from, like, a plot perspective. Oh, no. Does this mean that eventually, like, Dean's going to kill Sam? Oh, no. Like, I just I just think it's, like, worth mentioning just as an overall, like... Yeah, but you never say, like, overall, just, like, general things. Like, so this is going to be relevant. I mean, it's all relevant. Like, it's relevant to the major plot arc. But I just thought it was worth pointing out because, like... Dean was clearly hoping Sam wouldn't remember and then Sam made it very apparent that he does remember and it was like at the very end of the episode so I just thought it was worth... Yeah, you can't tell me it's not going to be significant now. You brought it back up. You specifically brought it up. The show brought it up. That's why I'm bringing it up. Oh yeah, sure, Bethany. It's true. If they hadn't brought it up, why would I have? Anyway, I just thought it was worth mentioning that before we close off. In saying that, did you have any other points? No, I'm all done for today. You're all done for today? Cool. In that case, that brings us to the end of the episode. What would you rate Playthings out of five? I think I'm going to give this week's episode a four out of five. Oh, you liked it. Yeah, it was one of my favourite episodes of this season so far. Like, I think what really makes it one of my favourite episodes is there was just not a lot that I'm sort of sitting there that's annoying me about it, you know? Do I think it was a particularly important episode? No. Do I care? No. (laughs) <laughs> like the secondary characters were pretty good like the 
characterization of Sam and Dean was pretty good. The plotline was pretty good. The directing and lighting choices weren't bad. It was a good episode. Like, it was entertaining. It didn't have any massive plot holes or issues with the creature that I was really worried about. So it's just like, it was a good episode, you know? Cool. Cool, cool. Very um, positive coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next episode is called Night Shifter. Did you have any thoughts, predictions about that one? So it says shifter in the title, which... Suggests. Suggests it's a shifter. Yeah. But it's also got night in the title, so like maybe a shifter that shifts at night. <laughs> and like, does it... I mean, you're going to assume it's doing some sort of crime. Like, <laughs> night shift... Like, it's doing crime at night. Because... Otherwise, why the hell would Sam and Dean even be aware that there's a shifter? Something that's big enough to get news, probably murdering people again. What is it with shifters and murdering people? Like, I think a lot of the monsters just like to murder people. Yeah. Seems to be a running thing. <laughs> um, Alright, cool. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Or No, I think that's that's my, my predictions for next night and shifter. It's in the title. I'm just hoping I'm right. Um, so I think that just about does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you wanted to interact with us uh, further, you can always find Jamie over on Twitter at DragonPixPod. I think you should send her some uh, examples of other characters that you know and love who have chin dimples. I think she would just really appreciate that representation in her life. Yeah, so hit her up on Twitter. And if you want to interact with Bethany, you can find her on Tumblr at DragonPixThePodcast. I think she wants to know just some euphemisms for being gay. <laughs> like beyond antiquing or friend of Dorothy or friend of Ellen. What, Is he, you know, omitted? <laughs> exactly. What euphemisms have you heard for being gay? Anyway, thank you so much for listening and hopefully we'll have you back next week. Bye. Bye.